1: Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 25th of Jan 2021. Now in any normal year I would have a hangover today because it's the day after what should have been the Norfolk Grain Dinner. And we had a really good dinner last year at the new venue and everybody enjoyed it and people even booked hotels ready for the next year. And obviously the horrid old pandemic has come along and ruined everybody's fun anyway. So the good news is I haven't got a hangover. There you go. Let's talk about a market that's just dropped from 217 on the May futures on Wednesday at about two o'clock in the afternoon down to, it's just traded a few seconds ago, 205.75. So that is a 11.25 drop in two days. Normally, you'd kind of be, oh, the world's going to end. Some of the crowd are on the pitch. They think it's all over. But it's kind of, you're still bidding someone £203 a tonne for May X farm. Is anyone a loser, really? To my head, anything over £200 a tonne for feed wheat that people don't sell is a game you can't pretend it's against budget you can't pretend that it's like you know i've got to make 220 because that isn't normal or real so and you certainly can't budget for a fantasy price so once you get in excess of 200 pounds a ton it's a win whatever you do so be interesting again back down to psychology how people feel about this but to my mind you know anyone that's selling it if you haven't locked into some of it over 200 pounds a ton, then Do some for goodness sake, just in case it does cack out and we're all wrong with our figures. I state on this podcast, you know, the bit we recorded years ago, and I keep saying it every week is that, you know, my gut instincts. My gut instinct on old crop feed wheat is it's not all over. I think we've got issues. I think it's very, very tight supply and demand. We've talked about not being able to import at a price that relates to our price. Our price has to go up a bit in order for imports to work. So, yeah, I don't think it's all over. That's a gut instinct. I could be completely wrong and it's your money I'm playing with and if you're hanging on my words to not sell it at £203 a tonne or whatever it is for me, then, you know, let's look yourself in the eye and go, good grief, it's 203 and I'm saying no. Anyway, that's my thoughts on it. I think it's going to be volatile. It's going to be an opportunity to feel like you've won or feel like you've lost depending on your psychology. So get in there, make a decision. If it's the last bit you're trading... You know, run it, play it, live life a bit. There's nothing else to do, is there? So, you know, it's a game. It is a game. Anyone who pretends it isn't right now is fibbing. So that's a controversial statement to start with. Thank goodness we're not corporate organisation. have got sacked for that. Feed barley, there's a big winner. It's gone up and up and up and up, and it's been trading at such an enormous discount to wheat for so long that it got to 50-odd pounds a tonne. I mean, that is now... In the 160s, it's, you know, depending on who's bidding at any point in time, that's had a meteoric rise. So it should. It's a cheap alternative to 200 odd pounds tonne for wheat. So if whatever barley you've got left, be it malting, be it feed, it's probably above your budget level. So again, we're in gameplay zone. There is some more malting to be traded for people who are short against contracts. So if you've got a decent quality barley, you know, at the moment it's cool, it's in the shed, there's no bug activity or shouldn't be because we've actually had a decent cold winter. You know, it's soon to be time for you to get those samples out and say, right, okay, I might look at selling these. But you're in a winning position because the base of the market has come up so far. So that's another piece of really great news. So leading on to oilseed rape, obviously we've got a firm currency at the moment, which doesn't help our prices. So that's kind of eased back a bit. Currently, I would put the value of February rape at about 370. So we should make about 375, something like that. Come off a bit, we have got a strong pound. Apparently, you know, the Nissan announcement about keeping the factory in Sunderland is positive news. You know, bits of information where employment is going to still continue is really great. And those things happening in a sea of misery is, you know, going to help the pound's value. So I think rape, I think rape, again, if you had gut instinct... I think it's not going to go down. You can play, you know, sell it in a month's time and I don't think it'll be much different or certainly not much lower than where we are now. So in terms of prices, we have got a very positive market report despite the fact the market's just dropped £12 in two days. It is still positive, really, really healthy, happy agriculture. The only sub-issue that I think needs a lot of consideration now is the new crop. 40 pound discount to old crop and in our neck of the woods the crop's going backwards not forwards it's you know there's there's a lot of water there's a lot of you know yield losses occurred the crop's gone backwards last spring we had absolutely perfect conditions in March it was awful up until then and then suddenly it turned dry and suddenly it was really warm and dry and the land recovered very quickly and we were able to get on and it stayed dry obviously that turned into a drought but the point is it enabled people to get on quickly don't forget it is nearly the end of January now we're relying on February to sort itself out so we get nice and you know warm up a bit and get a bit drier At this moment in time, the forecast for February is certainly colder, hopefully a bit drier for this side of the country, but for large slices of the UK, it's really wet forecast, and that is going to stop you guys getting on again in a hurry. So I'm beginning to say new crop has issues in that what was going to be a 15 million ton wheat crop has probably shrunk back a bit, and it's going to get to the same scenario as last year. And as I've said previously in the last couple of weeks, because of the Brexit deal allowing for exports, it's no longer catastrophic that if we have a small surplus, because there will be exports. So I think it is one of those moments where if you're being pressed to do new crop because the market's dropping on old crop and the whole thing's dropping off a bit, I think, again, my gut instinct says this is not the time to move. If the weather suddenly turns kind, then by all means step in there and do some budget trading. But... To my mind, this crop does not look that healthy, and the prospects of getting on with the spring work, according to the forecast that we're looking at, I'm not convinced yet that it's the right thing to do to sell it. So, kind of underlying bullish statement from doing grain. There was one other thing I forgot on the old crop, and that is last year, I think one of the things that the market's gone at around the world, because China has stepped back onto the pitch quite markedly buying a lot of grain, And I think with the swine flu that occurred over the last sort of 18, 24 months, obviously masses of the Chinese pig herd was slaughtered, uh, not very humanely, and they have come back on restocking, getting their herd back up to size, and they've been actively buying probably a surprising amount to most people's expectations. And with that in mind, I think if that continues to be the same case, the Chinese economy is obviously getting stronger, growing every year, more and more people can afford, you know, better... Food or more expensive food or meat, and consequently, the demand from China is back on as a major issue. And just maybe that blip, the swine flu blip, made us feel a little bit like oh, maybe they're plateauing, maybe it's all over. But I think, underlyingly, the weather consumption in the world and where certain countries are getting richer, I think, underlyingly, we have the beginnings of a very bullish period in cereal prices. Maybe. There'll be blips down intermittently in the early days of it. But underlyingly, production is getting harder to achieve and consumption is growing at a greater rate than I think production can keep up with, especially if we have a weather blip. Plenty of time for that. So, yep, keep watching the weather and speak to you next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours.
0: The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 550 or email info at uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat.
1: Right, this week you're stuck with the in-house team again because obviously lockdown, we can't see anybody. The special bubble this week as we start is Ben and I. Hello, hello. Ben. Hello. hello, Ben. I've got Webby here to enjoy your company today, have we? And Joseph's in the other room answering the phone. He'll come through sporadically and, and join us. So I think the opening shot, this is it's a time to mark a bit of history, isn't it? Donald Trump graciously left his office this week.
2: He did. And he left a letter for Joe Biden. Did he? Yeah.
1: And what did well, that say? Well,
2: that's what everyone's speculating.
1: Is Joe allowed to publish it?
2: Oh, that's a good point. I'm not sure they are.
1: Joe's on his way through, so what we've done so far is we've discussed Donald Trump.
2: So, yeah, Donald Trump's letter to Joe Biden, which he left on the desk. What do you think it said? Sorry about all the McDonald's rappers. <laughs>
1: now, I think it would have said something like, you stole it. <laughs> Allegedly, Melania sent a note to the staff of the White House because it's traditional that the First Lady leaves a note to the staff but she didn't write it herself she outsourced it to her
3: (laughs) so they've got a typed letter from someone else that Melania said she'd written I think Trump would just leave something very arrogant sort of saying you know I've put you in a good place going forward take all the credit whatever you know that sort of thing Yeah,
1: You're right. He's going to do that, isn't he? Look at the economy. uh, uh, I've
3: I've put you on the good track now. You're in a better place than you were before, and it's all for you to lose rather than for you to improve. The point of Donald Trump's existence
1: within politics I think is going to be an important one it's a reminder of just how extreme you know I- individuals who believe what someone says through through media or through whatever whatever you know, however he communicated to that many 74 million
2: people to vote for him he appealed to people who thought the political elite had gone too far people that thought the political elite weren't listening were arrogant and to all extent and purposes they were the political elite had kind of given up on
3: the little guy, in a way. I remember early on, before Trump got in, and when you first, obviously, came way back when he started doing The Apprentice, he was sort of seen as, like, that guy knows what he's doing, etc. And then when he got involved in the politics and he started ripping sheds off the politicians, they, they weren't used to it. You did think, Crikey, this this guy, you know, this is going to really transform politics in a good way. Little did we know that he was an absolute... Idiot. I think it's
1: safe to say that several people thought he was an idiot and just didn't think he was going to get in.
3: But, but we didn't. Yeah, but we didn't know that until we. We, we know. We knew that. You know Once we really got into the detail of him, but when he first sort of came to the forefront, when he was there initially on the early days, and you watch some of the the way he cut them down, and he thought this guy actually is saying the right things. But now... <laughs> do you know what? I,
1: I, this morning, I was thinking about what to talk about in the podcast. I went through to test at the cup of tea, and I went, what do you think now Donald Trump's not in power? What do you reckon to that? Really interesting answer. She said, yeah, it's going to be boring now, isn't it? I said, I think it's going to be a little... I said, OK, well, what do you mean by that? She said, well, you know, all of that Twitter stuff and the stuff that you just chuck bricks in the water, it'll just go back to the same old, if someone's asked a question, they'll just come out with one trillion, billion, zillion pounds sent on this and I've not done anything wrong. And, you know, where they're asked a direct question, they answer in that mundane political elite, never admit, pretty Patel-type way.
2: Yeah, although I think there is an argument to say probably the states does need Joe Biden at the minute. They need calmness. They need someone just to get the basics done, which Trump never enjoyed. He didn't enjoy the basic stuff. It was boring... Well, he's not, he's
1: not a details man. Just, again, Ted says he's not, he's not into detail. He was yeah. into, boom, reaction, decision-making. I mean, the economy
2: allegedly is in a good place in the States. Is that everything? Well, yeah. I mean, it could have been in a better place. But, I mean, you had an interesting point, Joe, about oil prices and what Biden's going to do
3: there. Yeah, so as soon as he came into office, he changed a load of policies. He's obviously signed up to the... Um, climate change. Climate change. Mm-hmm. He's completely reverse the permit for the ottawa oil pipelines there's loads of investment there so the mindset is where is he going to go i mean clearly his decision is more climate based he's not denying it like probably trump did to some extent and that'll be interesting to know what the impact is going to be on oil obviously the saudis and the russians have clanned up together and they've continued to limit supply as much to probably russia's not that they would particularly like that because they need more dollars coming in and they're obviously looking at what, how much money is going in there from other things, You know, looking at taxes and what have you. They've got to limit their inflation problems or uh, how their economy is running. But if America is out there and slowing up on oil production and trying to look at alternatives, then I think we're going to see possibly oil come back down. Sorry, just talking about Russia. Did you see, here's a good one, Putin built
2: a palace. Have you seen this? No. So the rumour is Putin... Because, obviously, uh, Putin is probably the wealthiest man in the world. Wealthier than Bezos with Amazon, you know, but, of course, his wealth's all hidden. He built a palace in the Black Sea region. Apparently, it cost $2 billion. Now, you can see a video of it on YouTube, and it is worth a watch.
1: What do you, what do you get for your 2000000000 billion? It's got everything. Is it?
2: Yeah, yeah. Apps, Absol- underground cinemas, swimming pools. It's ginormous.
1: And who's staffing it?
2: Well, no-one yet. I think Putin's waiting to go there with all his Hand- oil money.
1: Hand-pick a few people.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think Joe's got a point. I think Biden will look to get climate back in the centre of the US economy. And yeah, they could I mean, do it.
1: Well, he's signed a number of accords, and he's going to bring back a level of reliability and statement, isn't he? Which is, it's about the, how the world reacts to America and how, you know, the Iran deal that they've got. There's a whole host yeah, of things yeah. that some serious damage has been done. And it's, you know, how does the world turn now. These are troubled times, aren't they? I mm. see volatility ahead. I see food supply becoming really important. America used to be the kingpin determiner of what happened next, because they had the surplus. It's turned into Russia, hasn't it? Yeah. And Russia has a very cold winter. You know, you talk about Putin and his control and his need for dollars, but he's stopped exports. He's put a €50 euro penalty on exports from March 1st, almost. Will he open up the doors next harvest? Well, at this moment, the projected, you know, the weather that's occurred in Russia has been very dry for lots of the autumn, and they've now had having a very cold snap.
2: Putin's got, you know, he has to be careful because we obviously all saw those North African springs, you know, Tunisia, Algeria, where those guys lost control of their population because they couldn't keep food price inflation under control. Putin has to do that. Hmm. It's the only control he's got at the minute. And if he can't keep those food prices in check... Uh, you know, the Russian population are going to start getting annoyed.
1: But it's, uh, you know, do you not think, you know, politics aside, food prices are going to go up. Anyway, we're, we're at a place... I mentioned on the market report about the swine flu in China and the reduction in purchasing of commodities by China over that period. There was obviously a big drop, and the, and the world sort of thought, oh, hang on, maybe China's, like, levelling off on how much they're going to consume. And all of a sudden, you know, they've restocked their pig herd, and they are buying, and they are buying, and they're say, oh, blimey, we wouldn't expect them to buy that much, and they are buying. And the net result out the other end of swine flu and their new restocked pig herds is there's a greater number of tonnes required by China, a greater expectancy for their crop to be big enough to cope, which which the Chinese crop isn't getting bigger anymore. It's kind of like stagnating.
2: It, that, that's true. I mean, on that China point, I think the other thing we have to bear in mind is that China is investing heavily in better grain storage. There was no doubt that their strategic estate stocks of corn and everything else got decimated in their rubbish stores. So they're now investing money in better storage, which will help them level out their food demand.
1: Is yeah. there a YouTube video of that? Of course not.
2: Be, I mean... There know,
1: won't where be. Where are they building those then? I'm. I'm you know.
2: Well, I mean, I just read a report that just said China is now going to look to invest millions of dollars in in their grain storage. Oh, right. okay. OK. So, you know, perhaps that, we could Well,
3: no, that's, that's, that's that important. That's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. China have been... Obviously, also further afield, investing in other countries for a number of years. We talked about this in the office. But I sort of was reading bits and bobs that there's a, I think it's a belt and rail or road, Silk situation. Road. And, well, no, it was the old Silk Road. and What the Chinese are doing is that they've reinvented that, and and what they're quite simply, they're going about, they're going around the world looking at developing countries, and they are essentially turning around and saying, look, if you want a better inf- infrastructure will provide that infrastructure for you, but it will pay for it, and then you'll have better. But it's interesting little tweaks in what's going on. People have identified that the type of ports and the better infrastructure they're putting in place aren't just normal commercial outfits. They're actually... And uh, this, this, this really is a bit of a conspiracy idea, but they're, they're also military-based types of setups. And so you look at very small developing countries that don't have the money to do it. And it's already happening where these countries are struggling to pay back some of the money that China have already lent them to develop these infrastructures. And then the Chinese, interestingly have turned around and said, well, actually, we won't take the money, but we'll probably look at some sort of land investment. And so they are building away from their domestic land and they're improving also their infrastructure or contact with food sources in various places, Africa being a potentially great source of where they can get food from and other South American places. So I think it's called the Belt and Road. If you go to Africa and
1: bung bucket loads of money in and you say, right, you know, that we're going to build these grain stores here, we're going to build an infrastructure, we'll put some military (laughs) installations in, there. you know at some point in time one of the locals gets a bit upset don't they I mean we, we you know the Brits are uh, the worst people in the world so we've got upset everybody over the years imperialism and being in, in Africa and how we ruined everything it's no difference the locals are still going to feel really pissed off with a little little Chinese guy going oh yeah, yeah. that one' oh, you can't do that that's my field and I'm sorry that's where my tribe has spent the last six thousand years you know slaughtering the other tribes young or something whatever they do you know but the point is that they're going to say you can't do that Mr Mr Chairman." and he's going to go oh yes I can because I'm used to oppressing minorities and this is your country, but you're a minority now, get off my land in Chinese. And, well, you know, the point is it isn't going to be
3: as easy in a foreign land unless you turn on the military might. That's yeah. a separate thing. Yeah, I totally agree. But they're positioning themselves in such a way because they know that their own land or their demand to obviously, or just, I suppose, it's, you know, they're looking at STEM. They are quite simply spreading their arms out and looking for the extra place to get resources from. Hmm. Well, the other thing is, I mean, let's be blunt, China hasn't engaged in a war yet.
2: You know, we've had Iraq and Bosnia and... But you, the Chinese haven't actively there got was, into
1: it. There was a, a comment that um, it wasn't this current Chinese premier. The question was asked: You know, what would you do if you had a war with Russia? And the Chinese premier said, Well, I'd, I'd send a million troops. Uh, and then, and if they got killed, he said, I'd send a million more. <laughs> and if they, I'd send in a million more. And the point is, he keeps sending yeah. millions more. Do you think we ought to boycott the chubby panda in North Walsham?
2: Oh, <laughs> oh no, no, not, not no! Yet. I think I don't think we're there yet, Andrew. No.
1: I think
3: I think there's bigger. The things overwhelming desire for Chinese
2: is greater than. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Webby <laughs> loves a pork ball.
3: <laughs> I think I think you have to special mention to Patrick Mutimer for that. He's he's is he a, a, he, no no. He would he'd be mortally upset. Patrick's favourite venue <laughs> when opportunity arises. <laughs> I and now he
2: sold wheat at those prices. He can eat there eat there as much as he wants. You see the joy of loose talk.
1: Hey, you know we we haven't got a corporate body telling us that we're all fired Everything. So it's uh, you know it, i hope some of you realize this is in jest or meant in jest but you know there is a serious note underneath it you know supply and demand china has a massive influence they have got the money they've got the population that are demanding more and more that's a recipe in itself for disaster they're going to need a good war somewhere along the line aren't they
2: well yeah i mean you yeah, know the chinese population is massive they've got to keep feeding them food's got to be cheap same in russia we're in a tipping point in the world i think
1: yeah, his tipping points don't last It's not just one year, is it? There's always a catalyst moment. But, you know, the West is having a sort out. Donald Trump has had an impact. You know, this country has its own sort of personality style leader, in a sense. Old Boris, he's not a details man. He said some outrageous stuff. Keeps getting picked up on. And he bluffs and blah, 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 blah. And then he sends something in Latin. Which shows he's posh. And at least he went to visit the flood victims on the first day. It was there this time, which he's learnt something. But the reality is, you know, politics needed a Donald Trump in the sense of getting a message across direct message across about what you think versus the mumbo jumbo non-answer crap yeah. that we're still getting in the uk and yeah how long are the people going to stomach it we haven't we haven't got a clear reason for an election next time round. get Brexit done, which gave someone a purpose what is the next purpose for the uk where do we go to is it
2: keeping the union together i mean that is a huge thing on the horizon for us
1: well, as an Englishman, you you you're fed up with the criticism as far as it goes. Yeah. As I understand it, I don't see that the union was put together 400 years ago when the Scots had run out of money because they couldn't fund some you know Caribbean island or whatever, and and they ran out of cash, so they came to us and we bailed them out. Basically, let me just write that down. Yeah, it's you know it's all about money. So if you took Scotland off that's our oil, that's our fish, you know, we want to be European. Well, I, I, goodness knows how they'll get on. It isn't all roses with Nicola Sturgeon in control. You know, she's got a. No. you know. Yeah, yeah. And importantly, there is a lot of money paid by central government in the UK, in England, into Scotland to make mm. the, the books balance. If they really wanted independence, they absolutely wanted independence, they don't like us, do they? It's who do they support? Anyone but England. Yeah, Which, you know. Yeah, I, I don't. It's let like being, go. Being married to someone who doesn't like you is no point, <laughs> is there? You go home and it's, you're miserable with it. So if they're going to moan all the time, let them go. You know, and and mm. and then hopefully strive on your own. But is that how loose is that as a thought? I don't know. Northern Ireland doesn't affect me. I'm the other side of the country. But a Northern Irish person who believes that they are English or British. Does not want to be Irish. And you say, well, I'm sorry, it just changed my mind. You can be Irish, off you go. That's where the passion it's not as straightforward. If they suddenly became a United Ireland, you would have at least fifty percent of the population of the unionists who would be going
2: up. Not happy. Yeah. You
1: know, and whose fault would it be that it kicked off again? Which it which it will There'd be independent, misery. So I, I it's not easy, is it? The Welsh? Who? <laughs> no, be really nice about the Welsh. I just watched The Crown, and I watched the one about Prince Charles being invested. In I school.
2: mean, that was a good one. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, I remember,
1: I remember him being invested. In I remember watching it on TV live. I remember thinking, "That's a funny hat." Yeah, but and, she but had a funny hat a on. A couple didn't
2: of she? weeks ago, one of the Welsh guys who planted all these bombs around that time to do with he died recently didn't he i don't know because there was these welsh separatists that were so obsessed with it that they planted a few bombs near where prince charles was being invested back in the day and this guy was obviously you know fiercely welsh and yeah a couple of weeks ago he passed away but and, uh, and i'd for well, obviously i wasn't around but you know these guys were actively planting bombs for welsh independence
1: yeah, they obviously didn't go off then, did they?
2: Uh, I think one of them did, and then oh. one of them failed, and Welsh engineering. No. We
1: could, have, we could have a war with Wales. It'd be a little bit like having one with the Falklands again, when it? Or over the Falklands. <laughs> we might win that one. Anyway, if people don't want to be in a union, you have to accept that. It, and it has to be the majority, doesn't it? But you know, Norfolk—does it affect us? We're just like—we're so stuck out in the east here. It's not. Should we have independence for Norfolk. That'd be fine. I'd go with that. What tax would you charge Londoners for second homes?
3: It's—it's it's interesting the likeness between us and Cornwall, both being on the extremes. It's you. How long are you down there for? Five years, I think. Four or five years. It doesn't really. It
1: doesn't affect you, does it? It doesn't. Uh, it's not in your face. You lived on the border of Wales and there's someone continually burning down your bus shelter saying, go home English. That's always a joke in Aigle. <laughs> a little Welsh bloke used to, used to but yeah, when it, when it says go home English in the middle of Aigle bus shelter, then then you know that the Welsh are really getting somewhere. But <coughs> <laughs> come home to a real fire. That's what they used to do, set fire to hold the homes, didn't they? We could adopt that tactic.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think because of the pandemic, there's going to be a re-evaluation of where people really want money to go and i think we've already seen huge amounts of investment go into the nhs and there will be a bit of a direction change there and going back to sort of like whether or not we split from other unions and things like that collectively sort of improvements in treatment and various other things will be within wales and scotland and other parts will they turn their back on us if say the english are able to develop something or within you would naturally sort of like humanitarian sort of things you'd probably think hang on, we'll we'll collectively be better together. I mean, look at America, right? 52 states, and a lot
2: of those states are radically, radically different. Yeah. And they work together as a federation, don't they? Yeah. The United States, are, so do you have a United States, the UK, where actually, yeah, as you say, Andrew, let everyone get on with their own thing, but ultimately... They're
1: yeah. still part of a yeah. unit. I think that's more useful. In the end, John Lennon's right, isn't he? Imagine all the people living for peace, basically. It, yeah. What are we trying to split up and uh, how minute, how, how small a little island do you want to get into? Leaving Europe was big in the context, I didn't believe in the concept of that in the great long run. In the, mankind, in the end, is going to have to face its biggest issue. Is beginning to talk really seriously about facing its biggest issue, which is climate change. And the whole change in our attitude to cars and energy and all of the waste and miseries that we do we all know we're wrong and that in the end is going to break all the borders down isn't it
2: yeah your generation lived the golden dream didn't it I think
1: the generation above me and mine you know I'm I'm, what am I 18 years older than you something like that how old are you 43 bloody hell I am going to be 59 in April. So, yeah, my, okay. my generation had it with jam on in the sense that you're going to have cars that gas guzzled and fly anywhere you like for threepence. Well, not in, not in the early days. That, no. That's been more in the last... I would say that the golden era, if anything, has been the last 10 to 15 years because you can go to Prague for 10 quid with EasyJet, and that was always wrong. Yeah. In my younger day, people didn't have the ready cash to spend and blow away traveling, and there wasn't the travel. Going to Spain was an exotic thing to do. So it, it's been in the last yeah twenty years, which you know obviously I've been alive in that, but so have you. True. Traveling all over the world like you did, and you. Yes. People. Yes. I've Long only been to on France. an aeroplane. <laughs> 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 only been to France once. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So so we started this with a conversation about Donald Trump. Has the world changed? You know, Biden's in control of America. He's doing some decent things. He's going he's to set off with a wave. He's got some really big issues, coronavirus not least. You know, how long will it take to heal the rift with the rest of the world? Will it ever happen? And how long before China takes complete control? That's kind of the questions, you know, that's where we're heading in the current mood. What's going to change that? Possibly climate change or Putin leaving a passing shot as he retires of a nuclear war.
2: His <laughs> £2 billion house.
1: Putin's built a bunker yeah
2: <laughs> great
1: anyway I, I, we've been we've been really positive about the market we've been a bit miserable about the the future of the world of mankind on this podcast anyway here we see it yet again lockdown crazy podcast times next week it'll be the same just a different number of us i'm not into doing these podcasts over the telephone because in the end it's a face-to-face thing with me i'm too old to cope i look forward to the days when we do actually get some guests back on here again and i'm going to try and do some more of those from a socially distanced manner i just you know when is lockdown going to break down boys what do you reckon post
3: march what do you call lot i mean it's just going to be they're going to move the chess pieces around and call it something else Uh,
1: when am i going to be allowed to go out there with my microphone roving reporter and say choco (laughs)
3: what you know
1: what do you think of all i'll tell you what mate you know it's then i need to get people on here who before they expire to say what they need to say in this industry about how it all works so on that note i think we'll leave it no wait beer tasting right quick Yeah, we've got to have a beer, don't pull a face, I don't drink beer face. I
3: also think we should celebrate because it was Mr Webster's birthday. Grand age of 45 years old. (laughs) (laughs) And he hasn't aged a day. All right, now these these look good. So, uh,
1: where are these from? This is Simon Minns, James Mortier, Yorkshire's best uh, grain merchant because, you know, if um, Mark Smith is listening, he's a Yorkshireman who bought loads of beer for me. Mark. Anyway, yeah, Woltop against the grain. No we haven't no we got we've Thank got Scarborough, you, Scarborough Scarborough IPA, is it? Yeah.
2: W- what is this one? It's called uh World Top Scarborough
3: Fair IPA. Indian Pale ale. Okay. And it's a six percent. Oh here we go. Excellent. So no, no so
1: work this afternoon. Well nothing new there. <laughs> no, I think you know, this is he, he sent me a crate. He sent me a whole crate and a box of Yorkshire tea bags.
3: Ooh
2: Oh I like this one. Ooh. Yeah, no, it's it's really it's very light, very light coloured. Yeah. Have a little sip. Um, go. Nice sort of hoppy aftertaste. Yeah, that is
1: marvelous, isn't it? Well done, mm. Simon. That is a
2: that's a good one.
1: Yep. Yeah. So we're we're going to end on a very happy note. We're drinking Yorkshire free beer mm. from a very generous Yorkshireman. World top, Scarborough. That's this gets a how many out of ten? Oh
2: God, nine. Yep.
1: Yeah. Nice drop, isn't it? I mean,
2: if it was served by, you know, an attractive young lady and not Joe, probably would have got ten.
1: Anyway, with that. Everybody, have a good week and uh, catch you next week.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.